Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys from three different generations with three different hot takes. On the phone is Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids. I'm Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle. Our partners include Main Street Pizza with locations throughout Min, Michigan, the Corona Connection, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Sheridan Auction Service, Card Service Michiana, and Promec Engineering. Our Sportsnet Michigan Radio Network syndication teammates include Sports Radio Detroit and WJSZ. If you like what you hear, help us continue to grow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, other great podcast hosting sites. You can also follow us and hit us up with your comments and questions on social media at Three Point Pod. Well, we had quite a week as Michigan underwhelmed in Champaign, MSU melted down in Madison, and the Lions were, well, the Lions in Monday Night Football. We're going to get it rolling right after these important messages. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, guys, we got a lot to get into, and I know uh, this will uh, definitely excite Jared. Last weekend on Sunday, no Lions game, so had a chance to go see a movie. I'll talk about that in Tedertainment tonight, and guess what I did? I went and saw my granddaughter, Parker, down in Detroit. How about that? Dear God. <laughs> You're right. I mean, I don't know if exciting me is the right word. It's more of... Annoying? Just, I don't, man, I want to say disgusting, but that's not the right word. <laughs> that's not, that's, it's not disgusting me. It's just, I don't understand who it serves, who it's for. I guess if it, if you're doing it for your own enjoyment, if you actually enjoy it, then I'm 100% for it. Yeah, I it's do. It's to you if you enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, like now, I said, no football, and she's getting to that age where she's starting to get a little personality. You can see it developing. And, Matt, you remember when your daughter was a year old and some of that stuff was happening. I mean, it, it's really cool. Someday someday you'll feel that same feeling, Jared. You'll, you'll get there, Jared. And they definitely, yeah, especially, you know, getting a little older, they know Grandma and Grandpa come around. Oh yeah, and she she recognizes us now too. That's cool. Oh, does she? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the funny, there's a thin line with a three year old or a one year old or two year old between being funny and just being goddamn annoying. <laughs> it's a very thin line, and the fact that you go and visit them every single weekend. You're definitely flirting with the annoying line a lot more than the humor line. <laughs> oh. I, I know you're never going to say anything bad, and when you say, "Oh, I love going," I can kind of hear it in your voice that there's 
the part in your back of your head that's going, dear God, I just want to sit on my couch and watch football on Saturday. Yeah, you're and I'm driving out to Detroit. You're funny. You're funny. No, not at all. And, it, you know, it's the old saying, you know, the grandparents can go visit, they can spoil their grandkids, and then guess what? They hand them back off to the parents to take care of and do all that stuff. It's nothing but fun. That's all there is exactly. to it. If you, Jared, if you're saying uh, like a one- or two-year-old is, is annoying, just wait until – they can actually talk and run around and stuff in the constant why, the constant why, why question. Grandpa, grandpa, why, why? And if you really want to get when they're annoying, wait till they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a whole other story. All right, guys, we're going to get into the sports world, brief uh, recap of our weekend, but uh, – Matt, start us off. I mean, the big topic, we're recording this on Tuesday. I mean, I was tired as hell last night after the Lions game, but I so wanted to come to the studio. I wanted to text you guys and say, hey, let's record it right now. That would have been cool. That would have been the perfect chance to do uh, whatever, an on-the-spot pod and just whether it's midnight or 1 in the morning to get our true feelings out because I've definitely cooled down a little bit. I was pretty fired up yesterday (laughs) or last night. But, I mean, it's, you know, we all know that saying that Detroit versus everybody, and now it's turned into Detroit versus the referees. And, I mean, we all know that there are a number of games and situations. It always seems like the Lions get the short end of the stick. I mean, I know it happens to a lot of other teams. We talked about a lot last playoffs with the Saints against the Rams, and that, that was legitimate. It just seems like the Lions are always on the short end of the stick. And I'm the middleman on this podcast. I kind of fall down the middle on this topic. I Without a doubt, I mean, the NFL came out and apologized, said that some of those calls were wrong. They got screwed over by the refs. You, you can't get around that. Blown calls, they got screwed over by the refs. But the Lions also left a lot of points on the board that they could have scored touchdowns. They settled for field goals. Hawk dropped the touchdown. Kerryon Johnson dropped that pass. So the Lions are just as much to blame as the refs for what happened last night. But the people that are like, you cannot blame the refs. This is all the Lions. This is a situation where the the refs straight up jobbed the Lions out of that win. Why, why do I get my hopes up? Ted, I'm sure you're in the same boat as me, where we both said before this year, we don't care. They kind of suck. We're kind of punting on this season already. But what do they do? They bring me back in, Uh, just like the Godfather. They bring me back in just when I think I'm out. They pull me back in. And that's what this damn Lions team did to me. I haven't been this pissed off after a game since probably Michigan versus Ohio State in 2016 when we got screwed over the rest that time. But I don't know about you guys. Lions fan, Detroit Tigers fan, Detroit fans in general, there's one thing we're damn good at. And that's ruin, ruining a referee's life. <laughs> Just ask Jim Joyce. <laughs> so I am taking a call to action. I want this referee's head on a stake on the Lions Ford Field, the goalpost, that is the only way that we are going to get restitution for what just happened to us. We got embarrassed on national TV. Now, my favorite day of the year is always whenever the Lions are talked about in the mainstream media, the mainstream sports, where I can turn on ESPN and I know they're going to be talking about them. The last time this happened was after we beat the Giants on Monday Night Football about three or four years ago. I was looking forward to today, but then guess what? Because of these goddamn refs, not only did we lose – but now all I heard about today was the damn refs. Not about how Matthew Stafford turned back the clocks. He's looking damn good. Not about how Matt Patricia might be a good coach. Not about just Justin Coleman, how he's a great corner. No, all I heard about was these goddamn refs. And for that reason, we need blood. Yeah, no, I, I take a little different take on it. I think the fault here, this is my- You don't want blood? I don't want blood of a human referee, no. <laughs> I want blood from 
the NFL itself? I mean, let's look at it this way. Why do they have instant replay rules? They tweaked it last year, but why don't they go all the way? I've seen the different comments. If you're going to have instant replay to correct human error, and and let's face it, it wasn't if if they're if you're going full speed, right? And a guy puts his hand up right below the neck, it's pretty easy to make that mistake, you know. And again, I'm not giving him a complete pass on that, but why on earth in the NFL? In the last two minutes of the game, with the coach used his timeouts, so it doesn't matter because the league has to review any any replay anyway, but why, on a penalty in a crucial situation, why can't a guy up in the box be the judge on all controversial calls? I mean, it wouldn't take much longer, would it? No, to me, to me, it's a it's a complete no-brainer, like to the point that you're making. We immediately, when a penalty is called, what happens? The referees usually huddle up. They talk about what the penalty is, what the number is, who it's on, whether the team's going to decline or accept. So, you know, there's usually a good, whatever you want to say, 15, 20 seconds right there before the call is made. Maybe it's because I work in games where we roll the replays and everything, and sometimes we'll sit there immediately and we roll back, and within 10 or 15 seconds we've watched that play three or four times. We have the technology. I know people say, like, oh, then you're going to start reviewing every play. and It's not that. Any flag that is thrown, there is no reason with the technology that we have. There can't be, you know, they're calling it a sky judge. There can't be a sky judge who can quickly, boom, look at it one or two times. Most calls, one or two looks, you can tell whether it's a holding or, you know, a pass interference or whatever. Look at it, boom, yep, it's a good penalty, call it. Or last night with Trey Flowers, it would have been, no, that's not illegal hands to the face, pick up the flag, boom, done. It's not going to slow the game down. And then you're not getting what we're getting today, like Jared's talking about. Instead of talking about a pretty entertaining football game, all of the talk is about the referees and how the Lions got screwed over. So get the call right. Like I think that's what most people would want. What do you guys think? Because I think if I was a Martian and you just dropped me in the middle of this game and I was watching what Trey Flowers did, I would look at that and think that that's definitely a penalty. The way he was grabbing a guy's shoulder pad and basically punching him in the throat, although it might not be in the rule book, it certainly looked like a penalty to me. That's just what I thought. Well, if you just watch that, that no what, rule book, it looks like a penalty. That's what's crazy is Trey Flowers, and I, I tweeted out from the Three Point Podcast Twitter page, at Three Point Pod, the clip of when that second penalty happened, and Joe Tessitore on the, the broadcast, he said, Trey Flowers has two illegal hands-to-the-face penalties in his whole career. This is his fifth season. Both of them were last night. Trey Flowers has played, he played four years in New England. This is his first year in Detroit. Never got called for that penalty ever before. And he even said he's played the same way his whole career. Marcus Spears on a show uh, on High Noon today, he said, that technique that you're talking about right there, Jared, he said that's taught. That's a taught armbar technique to defensive linemen. Trey Flowers isn't the only guy in the league doing that. He did that the whole game last night. He's done it his whole career. Why on two plays, two third downs that the Lions got stops, did the ref throw the flag there? That, that's what makes it look shady, and I don't think the fix is in. I'm not sitting here saying, like, the Packers paid off the refs. I'm not going that far. It's just an egregiously terrible blown call by those referees in a bad spot for the Lions. Yeah, there were a few in that game. And, you know, before we keep our talking here on the Lions game, we do encourage people to send us comments. Hit us up at Twitter, Instagram, whatever, at 3 Point Pod. Here's a comment from Casey at Mr. 
underscore Smythe 182. He says, media members often say, well, human error is part of the game. But does it have to be? No. Refs are obviously going to make mistakes. But why does the NFL allow game-swinging penalties to be missed? How disgusting is it to read the memo the NFL inevitably sends out seemingly every other week explaining how they missed the call or they shouldn't have? Okay, thanks. What's the point? Fix it in the moment. Big plays are examined at officiating headquarters, so why can't plays as egregious as the hands to the face or 13 men on the field last night be monitored by HQ as well? It seems like an easy fix. Am I missing something here? Why are we at the mercy of human referee error when in reality we don't have to be? Well, Casey kind of went along with what I was talking about. I mean, they got the technology. They have, you know, video replays already, but why do they put a limit on it? Ted, you have definitely, and I don't have this, you know, saved away. I don't have a Ted memory bank. Okay. But something tells me you've definitely complained about replays and how long they take and how it's made the games unwatchable, how you have to DVR it. Probably one of the reasons why you do DVR it, so you can skip through it. So uh, now you're just flip-flopping because of, you, you just sound hypocritical now that you're flip-flopping because it happened a lot. Oh, come on. That's not flip-flopping when the league makes the rule change to go to replays. Am I am I 100% on board with replays? Probably am now. Was I at the beginning? No. I would prefer it. Either you don't have replays and just go back to the human referees reffing it, you know, or do replays, or do replays like you should, like Matt said. Even it takes; it's very simple to get the views and make the right call. Yeah. You know what I don't want is you see it. You saw it last night when, as soon as that game was over and the Lions had just lost, every Lions fan on Twitter was going back and rewatching the game, and anything that was any some some sort of a penalty, they were saying how oh, the refs missed that call. That's what I don't want. There could be well, a penalty, and I know this is cliche. They, could, they say there could be a penalty on every play. I think that's that's part of the the argument or the discussion is like you're talking about, Jared. All the replays that could happen. Obviously, you're not going to replay every single play. You're not going to send every single play up to the booth and have them look at it. I'm saying any flag that is thrown could easily be looked at by the sky judge, just like the rule they made a few years ago, where every scoring play is reviewed. I remember when they made that rule. People started complaining, saying, oh, man, it's going to slow the game down so much. Are you really going to review every play? Well, sometimes it takes one look to see that, yep, that's a touchdown. Sometimes it takes maybe two or three looks to, you know, a couple different angles, and then you see it's a touchdown. And now we don't even notice it. Like, guys, you know, touchdowns are scored, and we don't even think about it getting looked at because it's just part of the game, and the game still flows along. I think it would still do that. You're only looking at the penalties that are thrown, the flags that are thrown. So, of course, there's going to be other plays that just aren't called, like that pass interference on Marvin Jones. You know, that one maybe wouldn't be able to be reviewed because the flag wasn't thrown. And that's one of the human error ones, I guess, that we're going to argue about the next day. But I think you mentioned it earlier, Ted, like these refs are human, and we have to remember that this stuff, these guys are flying around so fast. This is so bang, bang. When you're on the field, a lot of times these guys are like, the refs are sprinting or backpedaling, trying to watch the play. These dudes are so fast, so big and strong and everything. And we're, we we get to see it in, like, super slow-mo at four different angles. So we see the replays. Oh, my God, that's pass interference. How did you miss that? And it's like, how, how, did the, how would the ref be able to see that? You know, so I think sometimes people have to remember that. Watching this thing in real speed, 
is a little different than watching five different angles in super slow-mo. Yeah, and let me direct this question at Jared, and maybe you'll remember we talked. Here we go. <laughs> maybe you remember we talked about a similar topic, and when I brought up the point that I think in the final two minutes of the game, plays that are called, you know, penalties that are missed are more important than during the regular part of the game. Do you still agree with that? Because if that penalty wouldn't have been called, Green Bay kicks the field goal. Yeah, Detroit has no timeouts left, but you got Stafford with a minute and a half to take it downfield for a Prater game-winning field goal. Do you still think that penalties aren't more crucial, mistakes aren't more crucial in the final two minutes of an NFL game? It kind of sounds like you're putting words in my mouth. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm picking your brain. Do you remember having that? Do you still think that penalties not in the last two minutes are not as you The way you worded it was as if I had said that. Okay, well, correct me then. Tell me what your viewpoint was, because I remember talking about it maybe six, eight weeks ago. I think it depends on what what the play is, because I would say that the carry-on Johnson, the dropped first down that was overturned, that's a pretty damn important play. I would argue that that's almost as important as those two Trey Flowers penalties but i do yeah it's definitely more important you're going to remember the, the the penalties that happen in the final two minutes but as to like matt's point so i think what refs would do if everything was reviewed every flag was reviewed then if they are even somewhat wishy-washy on a play they're just going to throw a flag and then say oh we'll just review it afterward because they don't want to be the jim joyce who missed it and i think that that's going to be whereas it doesn't seem like there's going to be more penalties it's going to slow the game down and oh. I'm fine with the. I think I'm fine with the way they're doing it now. Okay, commissioner. I think it should be the two minutes. Maybe the last two minutes they should review penalties. I agree with. I think that's where you're going with this, Ted. Yeah. The last two minutes. Yep. It should be reviewed. Okay, well, that's a fair compromise. So, so you're saying, Commissioner Jared of the NFL, leave it as it is, or maybe just tweak it to review the final two minutes. Is that what you're saying? No it's other changes. Seems like it's broken. I, I would. You know, it, it, I think it should be the whole game because now I'm thinking, like, oh, what if something happens in two oh five? At two minutes and five seconds. Oh, they can't review it because it's it happened at two of two o five mark. I think it, it, you got to review the entire game. You got to review each penalty. I think Matt's suggestion is the right way to do it. It's just not perfect. I mean, it's never going to be perfect. The game's going to get slowed down. The overall quality of the game is going to hurt. But you're not going to have the Monday morning where everyone just can't shut up about how bad the refs were. Okay, how about you're an- never going to have that? How about another idea then? Maybe uh, instead of reviewing every penalty, you know, from the skybox, which I still think is a pretty good solution, um, maybe tweak a little bit on the coaches' challenge. You know, maybe give them three challenges, or maybe let them challenge in the last two minutes. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I definitely think the coaching challenge thing needs to be, I don't know, improved, if that's the right word. But, yeah, maybe give them a couple more challenges. Because, like, people were saying that, that Marvin Jones' pass interference that was missed, that Patricia should have challenged that, and then maybe a pass interference would have been called. But, you know, who knows what would have happened there. Because then there, there's the other side to that, too. Like, people were, like, bagging on Patricia. How do you not challenge that? Well, he might not have even seen that play, first of all. So maybe that's on his coaches up in the booth who were able to look at it and see a replay or something to then tell him, like, hey, man, you might want to challenge that. It might have been pass interference. So who knows how that would have went. I I think it was Jared or something mentioned, or someone mentioned about whether the refs are being held accountable, like the calls that they make. And that's kind of one of the problems that I have with this whole situation is it's really strange to me, and maybe I mentioned this last year during that Saints debacle in the playoffs, that the refs, can have so much power, so much influence over these games, make terrible calls, make good calls, you know, whatever, and then you just never hear from them again. 
Like, you know, if Stafford throws a game-ending inter- interception or, say, Crosby missed that kick, immediately they have to go to the media and answer questions. They have to be in front of the cameras, answer questions. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Coaches, you know, whatever. Why, why are these refs not being held accountable for the, the calls, good or bad, that they make? You know, I'm sure they have a boss or, you know, whatever. They have a, a union, a community, whatever you want to say, that they evaluate how good referees are. But that, that's part of the problem to me is it's like you have these refs that have such a big influence on these games, never have to answer any questions, never have to say, like, hey, this is what I saw, this is what we were told to call, you know, anything like that. And, you know, maybe it's part of the problem of having these refs being part-time employees. Maybe the NFL needs to muster up some of that $25 billion they make and hire full-time referees. Matt, you were referencing that they should be held accountable, that someone said something along those lines. Uh, I said that his head should be put on Ford Field goalposts <laughs> is what I was referencing, where he should be held accountable. When a ref's doing their job, they like no one wants the refs to be you know personalities, I guess. I don't, anyway. And I feel like once you open them up to get criticized, where their names are out there, maybe you're mentioning maybe they have to answer like interviews and stuff like that. They're not invisible, which is what they should be if they're doing their job right. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I want that. I just wonder what really does go on behind closed doors at NFL headquarters and the head of referees. I mean, after that game last night, I got to believe that uh, that they were called in an office and, you know, there was, however you want to say it, demerits or whatever. But do you think we're going to see those refs move on and get plum playoff gigs, you know, if, if they continue to make calls like that. I think that's the only recourse that we would hope that the NFL has against bad refereeing. I don't know, but I have to assume being, uh, you know, the multi-billion dollar business that it is that they got the league at least has to hold them accountable in some sort of way. Don't they? I mean, yeah, that's my point is like, do they, I mean, yeah. Are, are these refs, if, if they're deemed to make whatever five incorrect calls, does that mean, they don't get to do a game the following weekend or, you know, do they not get to do the Super Bowl or playoffs if they have so many missed calls or something like that? You right. know, I have no idea. I would, I would hope so because otherwise it's like, eh, they're, they're like sitting at the bar after the game last night. Like, Hey, do you see all those calls I blew? Eh, it's just a lions. Who cares? You know, like they should be held accountable for something because players, coaches, everyone else is, and they're the ones being affected by these, these refs blowing calls. The other thing we're missing is, and obviously we've talked about the refs. We know the referees were not good in that game. But as I tweeted, as as you could see, I don't know if you saw it, Jared, I was still awake watching the game, not on the DVR. I had a miserable night of sleep, by the way. I could not go to sleep <laughs> after that. And uh, Sleep apnea mask didn't work? Didn't work very good, no. But uh, lionized on national TV. And let's face it, yeah, the referees – Huge, huge part of the reason the Lions lost that game. But again, field goals when you got to get touchdowns, mistakes, 12 men on the field, this and that. I mean, I really think this Lion team, I hate to say it, I think they're pretty good, but it's the Lion syndrome. It's killing them. I was just thinking that, yeah, I'll, I'll get to Ted's question. But Matt, like when you kind of painted the picture of the ref going to the bar after the game, like, hey, did you guys see all those calls I blew? That ref definitely went to a bar outside of Lambeau Field and got laid. That's just the fact. He got laid after that. And But as for what you said, yeah, the Lions, I mean, when you settle for five field goals, we're lucky that Matt Prater is just, is he the best kicker in the league? I'm pretty sure he is because he's a damn so. good kicker. But, yeah, you can't settle for field goals against the Packers. And and it's, we should have blown them out. You look at the Packers' skill positions, 
they might have had the worst skill position players in the entire league last night without Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers looked like he was about to explode. He hit the face mask of about 10 different Green Bay wide receivers. <laughs> and it's and you look at how they, they fumbled. The Green Bay fumbled. They should have had a touchdown and said the line, uh, Justin Coleman picked it off and went 50 yards the opposite direction. I mean, we really, after that first quarter and at halftime when we were only up 13-7, to seven, that's when you knew we're in trouble. Absolutely. Because we should have been up 21 or 28-0. No half. doubt. No doubt. I, I, The Kool-Aid stayed in the cupboard because I knew things weren't going to be ending up real well. Yeah, when they hit that, you know, it was such an awesome way to start the game. Flea flicker, 66-yard bomb to Kenny Galladay. He got caught from behind. Would have, would have been cool to see him score. But what happened the very next play? Fumbled the ball, but they recovered. Short run, field goal. Yep. You know, it was just like – I'm looking at the box score. They had 56 yards rush, rushing, you know, no touchdown passes for Stafford. You know, so right, they, they started off hot, and it, was, it was, was looking good, but they definitely shot themselves in the foot. And the offense sputtered after the first quarter. So, like, we, like I opened up, they, they're as much, the Lions are as much to blame as the refs, but, you know, you, you can go both ways. It doesn't have to be so extreme one way or the other. Yeah. No, 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 that's the rational way to look at it. The unrational way and the way that I hope that the rest of the Detroit Lions fan base is we need this guy's goddamn head on a stake. <laughs> you, I mean, it, it's just, I don't know about you guys, but when that game ended and Mason Crosby kicked that field goal in and ran and jumped into the crowd and the crowd just exploded, I would have been fine if Lambeau Field was, if we locked the doors and Lambeau Field was burnt to the ground that night. I have never been that pissed after a game and just, I don't know how long. It's just unbelievable. Just gets my nerves going just thinking about it. Did you lose they sleep? Didn't deserve it. Did you lose sleep too? I slept horrible. Me too. I slept horrible last night. And I didn't see the Lambeau leap, man. As soon as that field goal went in, TV was off. That was it. <laughs> yeah, it was disgusting. And even Aaron Rodgers was interviewed on the field. Oh, right I didn't after. want to see that. Yeah, he said something along the lines of like, you know, they asked like, how did you feel coming back from this, the deficit or whatever? And he was like, I didn't feel like we actually won the game or we were going to win until that kick went through. Like, to me, that's him saying, like, they were getting beat the whole game and, you know, didn't feel like they were going to win until that kick went through because that's what it felt like. The You know, Lions actually played well. The defense played good enough to win that game. The offense just couldn't keep up. And then, you know, the penalties didn't help, but the offense couldn't score enough points. And yeah. so here we are, you know, people are like, trying to put like a, a spin on it like this is a good Lions team keep keep believing this is a good Lions team and they're sitting at 2-2-1 two, two, and one. I was just going to ask you that question I mean after watching them you know we've seen them compete against Kansas City now maybe that was a little bit of smoke and mirrors the way they played the last couple of weeks but they played well against Kansas City you know since that first game they've actually played pretty well and, and you're saying it perfectly but 2-2-1 two, two, and one, a devastating loss last night. Can they rebound from that and still put together a halfway decent season, 500 or maybe a game above, or is this going to all crumble? I mean, it's going to be up to Patricia, but what are your guys' gut feeling the Lions go from here? I think they can go 500, but it's just just the thing where it's – this is what it's like with a lot of Lions teams. Usually it's we're a bad team that's a player two away from being an average team. This year we're an average team that's a player two away from being a great team. And, and, and if this, you're telling me if this Lions team doesn't start off beating the Chiefs, beating the Green Bay Packers, that we're not the most confident team probably in the entire league, and, and that just translates to being a better team? Yep. I think it does. And, and the fact that we're 2-2-1, two, two and one, this is just another average team. Well, even that and, I, and, I, and the way I look at it is if we win a playoff game this year, it's a success. 
I, I really don't think we're going to make the playoffs. This is the way we're in a tough division. We're currently in the last in our division. Right. It's crazy to think about from first to last with that loss. Well, that's the thing. You look at that game alone. I mean, Lions were on the verge of becoming, you know, one of the real big stories of the in the NFL. If they win that game, I mean, there was already a lot of love in the pregame stuff. I don't know if you noticed I know. that. And they go it's from weird. from being one of the big stories for being successful for being. The big story because of the refs. <laughs> it's just it's just the Lions. I mean, hashtag 57. Hashtag since 57. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. What the hell is Matt Patricia's hat mean, by the way? 1934? Is that when the Lions were starting? That's the stupidest hat in the world. Yeah, that's when they started. So, Am I the only one that's noticed the hat and said, what the hell is he wearing? Yeah, I, actually, I what? thought it was a pretty cool hat, to be honest with you. Oh, my God. I've yeah, noticed it, but I knew what it was. Style. You yeah. guys probably do love that style. I don't know if we're about to move on. but Yeah, we are. Yeah, that's where, Patricia, it's time for him to make his money because we all know what it's like to what the Lions have always been. Usually, once they kind of hit stumble a little bit like this, season just goes into the tank because that Detroit Lions mindset, same old Lions, sets in. So if Patricia wants to make his money, I'm looking at their next three games, Vikings, Giants, Raiders. All winnable. Three very winnable games. You want to prove that the Lions have turned things around and this is a different team and everything like that, go win those next three games. This is something that I've been holding in basically this entire, ever since Matt mentioned the Aaron Rodgers post-game presser. It's mm. like a sneeze almost. I'm holding it in. I love Aaron. I don't love Aaron Rodgers. With all due respect, he's a great quarterback, but f*** that guy. Hate him. <laughs> Hit the edit button on that on the radio broadcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I thought about just maybe believing it, but <laughs> sorry, Matt, you're just going to have to edit that one. <laughs> I had to get it out. It just, just hey, man, let that it guy. out. Let out that frustration. Yeah, don't hold it back. We can edit it, right, Matt? <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. I think enough on the Lions. You know, we spent 30 minutes on it, and we still have – an interesting story out of East Lansing and Michigan, so we'll get to that here in just a second. Just want to remind you, Advanced Elevator Company, they feature top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators, an area business leader, and a longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud partner of Three Point Podcast. This week, Advanced Elevator salutes the Cavalier football team who downed Owasso 42-21, led by Gabe Bomchins. School record 95-yard end-around run. And speaking of Corona, CoronaConnection.com knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on all that is Corona at CoronaConnection.com. Well, Jared, why don't you start us off on a little conversation about the green and white of Michigan State. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, this is kind of how I imagine the we would feel if the Lions ever won the Super Bowl, where it's just you, you kind of thought it would feel better than it does. You know, watching Michigan State just get obliterated by Wisconsin, watching D'Antonio just a shell of a man at that postgame presser, just getting angry over a fair question. It, it, it's just one of those things. I wanted Michigan State to be respectable. You know, I wanted this team to be good when they're going to that Michigan game. The fact that they just seem to have lost all their juju, Mark, Mark D'Antonio's lost his fastball, it's, it's more sad. That, and I know you guys expected me to kind of be dancing on their grave, which I, I'm, I'm still happy. You know, I've definitely danced a little bit over the last few days. <laughs> but it's just it's more sad than it is anything. It, it's just what happened to this pro, this one storied program. What has happened to them? What happened to Antonio, just an all-time coach? Now he, just, he can't even put up any sort of offense against Wisconsin. Well, I think you this heard... Is, this is in Alabama, it's Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I think you heard me earlier in the season, and I stand by it. I really do think... 
you know, win or lose the rest of this season. If they win seven games, there's a there's a possibility they could do that. There's a possibility they could even win eight. I still think, in my gut, I think this is it for D'Antonio. I think he's gonna he's gonna go out on his own terms, no matter what. They're not gonna fire him, even if they finish with three wins or whatever. Uh, you know, they're gonna have him back. And and you know, I just think he is a worn out man right now, and it's got to him. And you know, what is it? Thirteen years. You know, all that pressure, all the scandal stuff that's gone on. I mean, I just think the guy needs a break. I mean, it, it happened to Urban Meyer a couple times. So, I mean, do you do you feel that way? Do you think he's going to stick around? What are your guys' thoughts? It sure feels like you're, you're on to something there because, you know, if they were still year in, year out contending in the Big Ten, getting strong recruiting classes, not having so many guys enter the transfer portal – it would feel a lot different. It just seems like everything keeps like stacking up that this could be the end of the run for D'Antonio. You know, who knows what's going to happen. If it is, if he is kind of feeling like this is his last season, if I'm him, I would, before that Michigan game, he, he always gets his guys up to play Michigan, so that's not a problem. But I would tell his players in that locker room before the Michigan game, hey, guys, this is going to be my last season. Don't leak it to the media, you know, whatever. Yep. Send me out of here. Whooping Michigan's like ass. And that would be very scary for Michigan because, you know, if, if the players knew that this was going to be D'Antonio's last season, they're, they're putting all their eggs in that Michigan basket. They could lose every game the rest of the season, but if they went out and sent D'Antonio out with a win at the big house, I think it doesn't matter what they do the rest of the season. That would be it. You can tell that me and Matt are of kind of the same minds that with a lot of things because that's immediately the first thing I thought of is when Ted said that is he's going to use that as fuel against Michigan and that's going to propel them past Michigan. Why the hell not? You know, if, if that is the case, that'd be, he'd be stupid not to. Yep. He can try it, but I mean, this team is just, what is going on with this team? Brian Lewerke, after showing flashes against Ohio state, just 53 yards passing. I mean, just think about that. 53 yards passing. And then you just look at this defense, as I've been saying for weeks, weeks, they are not elite. Not only are they not elite, they're middle-of-the-pack defense. They're average. And it's just what he's what has happened to this team. <laughs> it's, just, it's almost I'm baffled for words. It, it is a head scratcher. I, I always look forward to the day Michigan State just completely fell apart. I just never thought it would be under D'Antonio. Yeah, you have to wonder. You know, I think I asked last week if you know there was always that D'Antonio magic and if if it really is, if it's just losing his luster, maybe he's, I'm not going to say he's checked out. He's he's definitely still committed to the program, I would assume. But, yeah, like you said, Ted, maybe he's just getting tired of it, everything. Yeah. While I, I, I don't mind when Michigan State loses, I like it when they're better because then, you know, the Big Ten looks better and then, you know, that Michigan game looks a little stronger. But, man, it does look like they're just falling apart right now. So well, I, I still feel like they're, they're not going to lose the rest of the, every game the rest of the season. They still might end up with seven or eight wins. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'll be curious to see what they do. Yeah, and I I really think Mark D'Antonio is a is a good college football coach without a doubt. He's done a lot at Michigan State with no five star athletes, right? He's done it with three stars, and you know he's done a hell of a job, I think. And done a hell of a job, yeah. Yeah. Well, does that mean like what did you think of the question that was thrown at him? I, I think it's a fair question. Well, do you think it's a fair? Here's my initial thought on it. Is it was a fair question at the beginning of the year? when everybody knew about it it was bandied about in the in the media if you say it's a fair question i guess it is and i guess it's up to d'antonio to answer it or just say i have no comment or whatever Seriously. I mean, it was a it was a bad reaction and you could see 
he was completely drained from that game. And, you know, what's he going to say? Is he going to say, yeah, I made a mistake with my coaching staff? So you say it's a fair question, but when you go to a press conference, aren't you going to ask questions that you're going to get answers to? Are you just trying to answer? That's what I hate. That the old, whenever you're in a press, like I imagine everyone in that press conference was looking at whoever asked that question side eyed, like they're the biggest idiot in the room just because (laughs) they asked that. Like, what do you stop unbutton your shirt? It's not as serious as you think it is. Like we're covering sports. You don't have to ask the cookie cutter questions all the time. Ask him something that's going to create some controversy. Well, they did. But yeah, this is the this is new age journalism. Okay. <laughs> That's what this is. I will say this: it it took balls to ask that question because you knew the reaction you were going to get, right? But why why do you think so? You think just putting a coach on the spot and knowing that he can't answer that question—that's a good uh, reporter question. I think I think the question is definitely valid. Okay, Mark Antonio Mark Antonio makes eight million dollars a year. He's getting paid to answer those questions. He he shuffled his staff around. We said it earlier. He shuffled the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. That's what he did with his coaching staff. I think it was 100% a valid question, maybe just worded a little awkwardly or maybe worded wrong. You know, you could have just said something like, it's no, it's no doubt, it's no question that the offense has been struggling. You made some moves on your staff this year. Do you still have confidence in your staff? Or, you know, word it a little differently, and he definitely could have answered it differently. He could have just said, we need to go to film and look at what's working and what's not working and make some improvements, and we'll get after it on the practice field or something like that. I, I think both people, you know, it's heat of the moment, right after two ass whoopings by Ohio State and then Wisconsin, going into a bye week, he probably was ready maybe to get away from football for a day or two. <laughs> probably. And, no, so I, I I don't think the question was wrong. I think it was worded wrong, and him calling it a dumbass question, you know, whatever. It's funny. It's good to get headlines. And what do you guys think of this, Graham? I like, Go ahead. Jeff. I like the way it was worded because it was a really it was a dagger right through then because he could have worded it nicer. But guess what? When your quarterback throws for fifty three yards and you put up a zero, a bagel, you maybe those questions should have a little bit of extra spice to them because you you need to answer them because when you decide to shuffle around, keep your country club buddies in there, you 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 deserve to get made fun of for it and ask the tough questions when they are just complete idiots who have no idea what they're doing. Interesting. You answer for them now. Hey, that's a that's a fair reply. You know, here's here's from Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal. He covers oh, the God, Spartans. We're, we're quote, quoting Graham Couch? Well, it's kind of an interesting quote he had here. He's got a here. great name. It is a good name. But he, uh, he said uh, about the uh, question, he said, D'Antonio bit back angrily Saturday night at the question about reshuffling his staff last offseason, moving Salem to offensive coordinator and Bowman to offensive line coach, so on and so forth. Was a mistake. He called it a dumbass question, not fit for the moment. It was an emotional response to an emotional question staged by the publisher of a fan website. It's a fair question, though, even if in this case, combative and theatrical in delivery. You guys, what are your, what's your guys' take on it. that? That's why it was theatrical. I loved it. That's why it was good. That's what I said. This grand couch, like, get off your high horse, dude. Just have a little bit more fun. Seriously. <laughs> Isn't it all entertainment? I mean, these post-game pressers, are you writing for entertainment after the game? Hmm. Have some entertaining questions. Yeah, you're, you're writing for entertainment. You're also looking for information. You're looking for insight on what's going on in that locker room. You're looking to ask the coaches, how do you feel right now midseason heading into a bye week? How do you feel about your staff? How do you feel about your quarterback, your defense? And you have a smug head coach that calls your question dumbass. I mean, why just why even have a post-game presser? Hey, you just 
got your you just got whooped by Wisconsin. How do you feel? Like what what kind of question are you looking for? If that one's that, not valid. Yeah. That journalist and I'm gonna throw I'm gonna give him a shout out because that's a hell of a question. Hondo Carpenter. That's a hell of a question you asked. <laughs> you did your job better than everyone else did in that room. And everyone and all the journalists, the big J journalists are gonna act like it was a stupid question and Antonio's gonna say it's a dumbass question. You provided more entertainment and more talking points in a, in a 10 second question than everyone else in a 30 minute post game presser. I, I will say this, and I mentioned that he had balls to ask it, um, and it definitely made headlines, and it definitely accomplished what he wanted. I want to ask you this one question, though. Do you think when D'Antonio looked at him, and he sees this guy there at every press conference, he's answered his questions before. Do you think he really meant that's a dumbass question, or you're a dumbass? I think he was more saying that he's a dumbass. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, but who's the dumbass in that situation? D'Antonio for saying that? I mean, they're both kind of. It's like yeah, they're, bo- it's a, they're both because he definitely didn't answer <laughs> it. He fell for the trap. He did. He, he fell, fell for, for it. I agree with you. Well, is there anything Michigan State can do to rebound from this? I mean, they do have some easier games on the schedule a little bit farther down the line. Or, or is this thing just going to be a sinking ship? I feel like it's going one way or the other. Like, if, if D'Antonio really is going to write this ship, we, we keep having these ship references, write this ship. They might be able to, you know, maybe upset Michigan. Who knows? Maybe even the defense will step up and they'll upset Penn State. You know, who knows what kind of upsets they'll pull, or they're going to finish five and seven. Like, it's either it's going one way or the other. I don't think it's going to just like even keel. Well, we shall see. We'll see what happens in East Lansing. That's a big story for sure. But yeah, before we move on to Michigan, uh, we we posted that that post game presser to our Three Point Pod Facebook page. So head over there and, and follow our Facebook page at Three Point Pod. But uh, John Strine, he's a fellow Corona Cavalier alum. He's a Michigan State alum. Just He had a couple thoughts on D'Antonio and whether he's going to lose his job. So just to see what he said, he said, as far as him losing his job, unless he walks away or is implicated in some sort of scandal, hard to see, he has earned a pretty long leash. The fact is MSU will always get three-star recruits and never get the athletes Ohio State or Michigan gets. There are a few coaches nationally that can turn mid-level talent into a playoff team, some teams have top 10 recruiting and an $8 million coach and can't seem to figure it out. Probably talking about Michigan there. Then he goes on to say, I think what has worked for MSU is to stand by winning coaches through thick and thin. I think switching coaches in a sort of three-card money moves program from alumni tradition driven into the corporate structures focused on outcome. That shift is inevitable. I know what would you give to have Lloyd Carr at U of M with a playoff appearance and a few more Big Ten titles in the last 10 years. So, I mean, he's talking about, you know, when Michigan canned Lloyd Carr, thinking that he was past his prime, and then went through the Rich Rod and Brady Hoke era. So, you know, that Fair. has been Michigan State's thing, you know, tough. Like you said, Ted, three stars, four stars, grind it out, develop these kids. But it just feels like this might be the end of the run for D'Antonio. I don't know. It, it does. And as, as I said, and as I've harped on, it, it's more sad than anything and and that just shows you that it, the chase is more is more rewarding than the the end goal you know if a lot like the, the chase for the lions to win a super bowl is going to be more rewarding than when they actually do win it mm-hmm. so that's kind of that, that just kind of shows you how i feel about the michigan state program a little them compassion going down yeah them going down is the same way i view the lions potentially winning a super bowl it's like that's my super bowl so <laughs> so this is this is what they have after after their bye week they get penn state who knows how that's going to go? They get Illinois. That should definitely be a W. But then it's the Michigan game. Honestly, I have to say, say Penn State beats them. They should beat Illinois. They're they're putting like they're putting everything on that Michigan game. Michigan better be ready for Michigan State, whether where, wherever Michigan State is. 
their season is going to hinge on beating Michigan. Yep. Both of honestly, both of these seasons hinge on that game. If we're being honest. Yeah. True. No, that's true. So. Well, let's get into a little Michigan talk here. Uh, you know, a good spot to watch Michigan, Michigan State, or the Lions. Rivals Taphouse and Grill, that's the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Stop in any time, especially on football weekends. And like I said, cheer on the Spartans, the Wolverines, and the Lions. Don't forget, first of the month party, five-buck burger and chicken sandwich baskets, dollar bottled beer, awesome food and drink, Rivals Taphouse and Grill in Corona. Also, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions. The auction house is always packed with all kinds of great items. Stay up to date by checking their website website at SheridanAuctionService.com and sign up for email notifications or call Troy Crow at 989-720-SELL for other details. Well, you know, Michigan, they jumped out to a 28-0 lead. Things were looking pretty good down there in Champaign and then, oops, all of a sudden 25 unanswered and things were getting a little dicey. Yeah, I mean, dicey is a great way to describe it. I mean, it looked like, I mean, the offense, the, the play calling, I don't know, was just a little interesting. I don't know whatever word you want to describe, but they were moving the ball. They were running the ball. They were scoring. But then I don't know if the defense just got tired, if they weren't prepared for that third-string quarterback coming in. You know, a little bit of a head-scratcher that they let Illinois get back into it, but then the defense made some plays. But the biggest thing to me, I mean, how, what week are we in? I feel like we've said basically the same thing every week about Michigan. I don't know what the identity of the offense is. If you're going to, you know, we were told anyway before the season it was going to be a spread, speed in space, all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, I don't, I don't doesn't seem like they're doing that. If you're really going to try and be like a power run team where you're going to focus on the run, they're rotating running backs in left and right. I don't understand that philosophy. Like if you're going to try and keep guys fresh, I guess. But it's really hard for a running back to get into a rhythm when they get a series or two and then they don't touch the field for two quarters. So I don't know what they're doing there. They're not using their receivers that much. Like when when they finally did start throwing the ball to the receivers, they moved the ball, threw a couple touchdown passes. Like I just don't know what the identity of this offense is, and we've been saying that every week. I feel like they don't have one. It's this whole the whole cute too cute thing. Like kind of started as a joke against Middle Tennessee State. With we kind of thought they were just kind of screwing around with McCaffrey at the slot and throwing screen passes to him and stuff, but it's officially gone overboard. I mean, yet again, they throw a pass to Ben Mason, and then he just punches a guy in the face. Yeah. I mean, get him on special teams. Not offense, not defense. He was a good fullback when we ran pro style, but we don't run that anymore. So get him out. As for the running backs, as I've said before, I'm not sold on Charbonnet. I like the way Hassan Haskins looked. He he, he looks kind of small, but he, he showed at least a little bit of burst and brought some life to this team. But as for the Michigan offense, again, comes down to Gaddis. The buck stops with him. We run the ball at will against this Illinois team, and then we decide that we're going to start airing it out a little bit. After we march all the way down, what did we start off the game? Ten straight runs? Yeah. And we're just moving, just doing whatever we're dominating. Just dominating them. Just follow the Wisconsin, the Wisconsin mantra, and just keep running the ball down their throat until they stop it. And we just decided, oh, we're going to start airing. Like, it was almost like preemptive. Like, oh, they're they're eventually going to stop starting, start stopping the run. So we need to start throwing it now. It's just. I just, this team, guys, this game, this week against Penn State, just get your hopes down now. You don't want Detroit Lions against Packers 2.0. Just get your hopes down now because I think things are going to get pretty ugly. Oh, there's definitely that possibility, but I'm going to stay a little bit optimistic. <laughs> you know, our, our Spartan insider, Joe Janka, when he was talking about the Spartans, I think we have to almost look at that uh, that way that Michigan has to play to be successful. The defense has to keep playing lights out. I mean, 
th- yeah, there were some mistakes made. Some of that was because the offense fumbled the ball two more times. But I think defensively, Michigan, if they just really concentrate and and play good defense and get some breaks and just play you know relatively decent offense, I think they still could make some noise. But Certainly not seeing much on the offense right now, and you know there's been some breakdowns defensively, but I think they got the athletes that if they go into Happy Valley and it stays tight in that first half, who knows? Yeah, I definitely think the defense has been better than expected anyway, and I think part of that is because, like you said, they're playing some of these younger uh, athletes on defense that have more speed and you know are just overall more athletic than some of the guys that they've had the last few years on defense, and it shows. Cam McGrown, Dax Hill, and some guys like yeah. that. You know, you see the speed. And so the defense is there. You know, mistakes are going to happen, you know, whatever. But, you know, Penn State, yes, the night game at Happy Valley, whiteout, it's the complete oh. recipe for oh, a blowout. Be... I mean, we saw it two years ago with yeah. Saquon Barkley running for like a billion yards on our defense. That that environment is going to be wild. So, you know, you, you put that aside. I know Penn State has been impressive. They're like blowing teams out. But against the two actual like decent teams that they've played this year, Pitt and Iowa, they've only outscored them 34 to 22. So while yes, Penn State is good, they're top 10, another road top 10 game for Harbaugh. I don't think Penn State is unbeatable because the the two good teams that they've played have actually it's been really close games. So Michigan, you mentioned it, Ted, the fumbles. How many drives have, drives have they just killed by fumbling the ball away? Whether they recovered the fumble or they gave it away, right. it's a drive killer. They're just fumbling the ball like crazy. That's kind of weird to see. And, you know, clean that stuff up and try and get a little creative on offense. Like, please, try and get a little creative on offense. I, I don't know. Are you still on Patterson out or stick with him? I, at this point, I know, Jared, you can jump in too, but at this point, I, you got to roll with Patterson because you haven't given these backups any time. I know McCaffrey was hurt, so that's part of the problem. Everyone and their mother is against playing Joe Milton. I don't, I don't understand why. No one wants <laughs> Joe Milton to touch the field. I don't get it. Uh, McCaffrey, if he was healthy, I do feel like McCaffrey, say he didn't get hurt against Wisconsin, I do kind of feel like it might be his job at this point if he hadn't got hurt. But at this point, Patterson's your quarterback because these backups haven't gotten any time. You really going to trot McCaffrey coming off that concussion with basically no experience or Joe Milton into Happy Valley in that environment and give them their first real reps as a quarterback? you got to roll with Patterson at this point because you have all these games that you should have been blowing teams out and getting the backups reps, and you're messing around and keeping games close, so you have to keep playing Patterson. Yeah, you got to keep Patterson. I mean, yeah. we've discussed this time and time again. McCaffrey, there's a reason he's second string. He hasn't showed us anything when he does go in the game. Joe Milton, he's third string for a reason. But the fact that you guys are really optimistic is just kind of hilarious. I mean, we were just in a I, – I know I use the word dogfight a lot, but that's really what it was with us against Illinois. This Illinois team did not have their starting quarterback. This Illinois team just lost at home to Eastern Michigan a few weeks ago. And I just watched Eastern Michigan lose to Central Michigan by 70 points this past weekend, or a couple weekends ago. So it's like, are we just overlooking? I don't know. It's just like the Rutgers game. You really can't take anything from it because that, that team they're playing is just that damn bad. Are we being optimistic or are we just, you know, being true blue fans? I'm not sure. Why can't they hold on to the ball? I mean, Ted. I don't know. Like, number one, like, back in your day, they didn't fumble the ball like this. 17 fumbles this year. Yeah. They didn't fumble it. Put some stick them on their hands or something. Is it the gloves? What is it? I don't know what What's it is. What's going on? obviously it's a lack of concentration lack of concentration but yeah i mean like we talked about 
I know you can coach coach guys up to not fumble. I know there is that preparation. But it does eventually it comes down to the players just performing, right? Yep. Harbaugh, Harbaugh's not out there fumbling the ball. So you <laughs> cover the ball with two hands. I don't care. You know, you were talking you guys were talking about the run game and they rushed for basically three hundred yards. Awesome. Love it. Great. That that's amazing. But my problem is as I'm sitting there watching this game, a game that they should have won by thirty. They shouldn't have let Illinois back in. Why aren't you working on the offense? that you're going to need against Penn State, against Notre Dame, against Ohio State to beat these good teams. Are you really – so they rush the ball 48 times for 300 yards. Is that really how you think you're going to beat Penn State? Is that really how you think you're going to beat Michigan State even, Ohio State? Because if you're out there against Illinois not running the offense, not working on these plays that you're going to need to beat better teams, what the hell is the point? I mean, that's my thing. Why aren't you getting these backup quarterbacks some reps unless you're just going to roll with Patterson the rest of the year? You know, you're watching. If, if you're going to turn this speed and space offense into rushing the ball 50 times a game, okay, cool. You're not going to beat Ohio State and Michigan State that way. Yeah. I, I do agree in years past. I do agree with that. Like, I wish we would throw the ball more against the lesser teams just to get more reps. But this year, if we did that against Illinois, we're losing by probably three scores. We can't throw. We can't. We can't. We, all we can do is just run the ball against crap teams and then just get shut out by Wisconsin and the good teams in, in Iowa. And your so, take your take is screwed. your take is we can't throw because of the offensive game plan, right? Yes. Okay. Because these guys just aren't that you, good. You were talking about like being optimistic, and I guess that's part of my thing is I'm definitely still optimistic. I've, I've seen flashes in this offense to think that if they can just put it together, stop fumbling the ball away, this offense has a ton of talent. I mean, it, it does have talent. I don't know if it's the play calling, execution on the offensive line or what, but the flashes are there. And, you know, I can't imagine being a fan and not being optimistic. You know, like I, it's not having like drinking the maize and blue Kool-Aid or, or whatever you want to say. I'm watching this team and I'm seeing that there is talent. I'm thinking they, they, they might be able to put it together. I'm going to watch the game that way. Things could turn in a hurry if they win in Happy Valley with Notre Dame at home under the lights too. I mean, what what happens then? to their momentum if they could somehow win both those games. Yeah, if, if they can win this Saturday in Happy Valley, man, that is that is a confidence booster. That is like lining up 50 shots of Patron, whatever <laughs> you want to say. Like, if they go in there and win that game, they might be setting themselves up for a decent little run. If they go in there and get their ass whooped, then, you know, who knows what's going to happen. What's the line, Jared? Uh, I think it's Penn State minus nine. Nine. Which, is, I, which has to be the biggest underdog Harbaugh's been. In quite some time at Michigan, right? That, that maybe even since his first year against Ohio State, probably the biggest since that. Yeah, I mean that tells you how hard it is to play at Penn State and in a whiteout. It's it's going to be as you say, electric for sure. They're going to be going nuts. I'll tell you what, it's going to be so fun the next couple of Saturday nights, isn't it? Do you There's have some good football? Yeah. Do you have assignments you got to do next couple of weeks, Jared? Um, at Michigan versus Notre Dame. Nice. Nice. I'm just hoping that it's. Uh, that we're going into that, you know, thinking, hey, if we win this, we're in the college football playoff race instead of, hey, let's just not get blown out by 30. <laughs> so. Yeah, no doubt. All right, anything else we want to bring up about the Wolverines, fellas? Yeah, I was going to say real quick, I know I've brought up uh, this this group chat that I have with some of my buddies. They're all Corona guys. This is The name of the group chat is Go Blue. Because these, oh, I thought it would be Frat Pack. <laughs> it's, it, it is. This, this thread bleeds maize and blue. But, you know, 
you're talking about like being optimistic, and we were, we were talking about it a few days ago because it is kind of hard sometimes to be optimistic with this team. But a couple of the guys in the thread, I won't name their names, but I'll read what they said. There's a reason to be optimistic, and, and one of the guys said, it's easy to look at things and be negative and say we suck, but it's fun to break stuff down and look at things in a positive light and try to find a path to wins. There's many avenues and paths to wins the next two weeks. So talking about beating Penn State and Notre Dame. Another guy then right after that said, like we've said in the past, Michigan is a 9-10 to 10 win program historically. We have, we have to stop putting unrealistic expectations on every team. Only get 13 games a year of Michigan football. Hopefully one of these years we get 14 or 15. I'm going to choose to enjoy every game. You know, I, sometimes I laugh when I see these Michigan fans on Twitter or Facebook or whatever just constantly negative, just constantly, oh, my God, here we go again. We're going to get our asses whooped by Penn State. Then we're going to go lose to Notre Dame. And, oh, geez. Look Harbaugh's got to go. Why do we even play them? It's like that. How you get 12 or 13 Michigan games a year. You're really going to go into every Michigan game that depressed? Why do you even watch? Yeah. I'm kind of like you, Matt. I mean, I go into every game excited, pumped up, you know, despite the fact that we've talked about some of the, the flaws they have, and I am still optimistic going into every game because it is college football for crying out loud. You never know. And I love my Wolverines. That's why they play the games, right? That's right. Hey, you you just let's tell me if you find that the the bright side of things when you watch James Franklin go for two up by three scores <laughs> and just the Penn State crowd loving it. Oh, yeah. And James Franklin just, I hate James Franklin's smug face. <laughs> the thought of him beating Michigan makes me sick to my stomach. So maybe I do yeah. need to see the bright side. You know, one thing about Franklin, and, you know, I'm kind of the same way, not really a big fan. He's 3-12 and against Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan. And he's 1-11 on the road versus ranked opponents. The one win was last week they beat Iowa. So he has similar records as Harbaugh. He just yep. have that one Big Ten championship. It's crazy how that will change the narrative. Yeah, it could. We just can't get one. <laughs> Go blue. Go blue. Well, we have some uh, entertainment news we're going to be getting into. Before we do, Card Service Michiana offers the best credit card setup and equipment for both new and existing merchants, guaranteed to save you money, no contract, no monthly minimums, or early termination fees. Contact us at 3-Point Pod for details. And by the way, if you have comments that you'd like to have on this podcast, best spot is to hit us up on social media at 3-Point Pod. For any industrial field service projects, contact Promec Engineering's professionals for any industrial field service project you have. Promec specializes in turnkey installations, startups, and specialty plastic fabrication. For more details, go online at pro-mech.com. All right, Jared, I know you had a chance to go to the movies. You saw Joker. What's your review? So before I get into the actual movie, what's your guys' thoughts? So I went to this movie by myself. Yep. No shame. I love going to movies by myself. Are you guys in that same boat? Or? 100%. No problem going to the movie by myself. Matt? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to a movie by yourself. You get to sit wherever you want and get whatever snacks you want. So, okay, good. I'm good. Because this is a movie you want to go see by yourself. Because you're going to leave this theater just absolutely depressed. And, and, and the way I describe this movie, it's a really well-made movie, but it's not an enjoyable movie. You're not going to be sitting there, you know, it's not a popcorn flick. It's not. It's not Fast and Furious. It's you're pretty much sad the entire time you're watching it. Um, but as for uh, Joaquin Phoenix, he was great in this movie, as pretty much everyone has said. Was he the best Joker of all time? No, I don't think so because his character really isn't. And I'm not going to give any spoilers, 
but his character really isn't even the Joker. His name's Arthur Fleck, and he's Arthur Fleck, and he's he's kind of an idiot. Whereas like Joker's in the past, they're masterminds. They know how to work with explosives and create super like Heath Ledger's Joker. He's he's just a he's a genius. He knows how to trick Batman every which way. This this Joker, if any sort of average Batman decided to engage with him, he would get his butt whooped by that Batman. <laughs> but one more thing, I will add. Uh, there's a lot of good things I did like about this. Um, the, the one thing they do have with it, the Joker's laugh, Joaquin Phoenix nails the laugh, and the way that it. So the thing is, he's he has anxiety, and whenever he gets anxious or nervous, he starts laughing uncontrollably. It's a problem that the Joker has, and I liked how they kind of made that in because that's the noticeable characteristic of the Joker is that he laughs all the time, and I liked how they kind of had a different spin on it. Uh, Ted, you might be surprised to hear this. I did not like De Niro in this movie. Okay. I did not like his character. I think that he was kind of forced in there. All I saw was Robert De Niro whenever I watched it. I feel like they could have been better served having someone else in that uh, scene. Uh, and also, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about this movie. What's real? What's fake? I didn't like that. I like my movies clear cut. You know, I don't like to think when I go to a movie. I just like to pr- turn the brain off and watch. And that's not what this movie is. You really don't know what's real and what's not. One final thought, and then I'll give you guys the floor. The stairway scene in this movie is electric it's all over the trailers it's a top 10 movie moment in my lifetime it's that good wow and it's because of the song that is played during it gary glitter was it gary glitter it was gary glitter which a lot of people probably matt do you even know who gary glitter is what is what's the song a rock and roll or something yeah. hey i don't know what it's called yeah yep how did you know that first off i think that's a spoiler but sorry no, How I've. You know that? It's not a spoiler. I've, I've, Have you seen it? I've seen some things online about it. Yeah, because there was some, there's been a protest because Gary Glitter, uh, he made that song. Yeah. And on it, and then he ended up going to prison for pedophilia. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> so a pretty wild move by Todd Phillips to use that. Yeah. But it's, I love it. And that then now I actually went through and re-downloaded that song. I was like, that's kind of a banger of a song. I'm gonna download that. Jock jams. Yeah, right. Uh, but overall, overall, uh, two point four. Thumbs up on the three-point podcast scale. Like I said, I mean, it's a good one-time watch. I can't imagine a world where I watch it again. But as I mentioned, do not go with your family. Right. Ted, Ted don't go with uh, your wife, Aunt Lana. Nope, I wasn't. You're probably going to end up hating each other as you leave. <laughs> it's just it's just one of those movies you just kind of go, and it's one it sticks with you for a little while after you see it. Well, it's funny because I, I was going to the movies this weekend because, like I told you about the Lions not playing, and I was going to go Sunday, and I knew if I went to the movies and saw, the, saw Joker that she would have no interest in that whatsoever, and I'd be going by myself. I do have a couple of real quick follow-up questions for you. First of all, did it take place in Gotham City? It did. And one thing about Gotham City, they need to just – Maybe Bane was right in The Dark Knight Rises. That that city needs to just burn to the ground. <laughs> it, it, the, talk about a city where crime just run, runs rampant. It, it's Gotham City. So. And then the other there, thing. It might be time for them to close that city down. The other thing that's not really a spoiler alert. There was no. Was there mention at all of Batman? Yes. Okay. Um, yes, there is a mention. You do see Batman. Batman's about eight years old in this movie. Oh, okay. So. Sounds good. Well, uh, I'll definitely go see that sometime down the road by myself. And I, like I said, I did have a chance to see a movie Sunday. It was one that uh, I knew my wife would enjoy. I know you guys, neither one of you are going to go see this movie, but I'm going to give the review anyway. Uh, Judy. Do you know what Judy's about? It's about. No. It's about. <laughs> it's, I do not. It's a little bi- biographical take on, and she's legendary, Judy Garland. That She was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, right? 
God, and she starred in a lot of musical mu- movies. I mean, she was a great singer, but she she came on tough times with pill popping that was forced on her by studio management. And, you know, she was an addict that ended up dying at 47. But this movie really focused on her final final real appearance when she was in London doing a series of shows at the tail end of her career. And, and I thought Renee Zelliger, uh, she'll definitely be nominated for an Academy Award, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if she gets an Oscar. It was one of the, the better biographical, you know, portrayals I think I've ever seen, so... You really do get three generations on this podcast, I tell you what. Because as somebody who just thinks The Wizard of Oz is the worst movie of all time, <laughs> the only thing I can imagine being worse is a featurette on Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. So. Well, people in my age group, like you said, we do get the generation look. Uh, people my age will definitely enjoy it if they take their spouses, uh, and it was a, a tremendous job of acting. So we'll leave that one there. Now, the other other movie I saw, you guys both have uh, Netflix, and that is El Camino, and this was uh, the continuation of Jesse from Breaking Bad. I don't know if you remember in the last episode of Breaking Bad, where, Breaking Bad, where Walter White broke him out of his uh, slave cage, basically where he was forced to make meth for these badasses. Well, they showed him. They showed him at the end of the last episode of Breaking Bad burning rubber heading out of town in his El Camino. So that's where the, the, the movie title came, El Camino. One recommendation I would give for anybody that watches the Netflix flick is check out the very last episode of Breaking Bad first. It'll all completely make sense then because, like I said, it takes off where it ended. Uh, very well done. You know, Vince Gilligan, tremendous producer, writer, whatever. The guy that plays Jesse it was excellent. I would say it's if you're a Breaking Bad fan or a Better Call Saul fan, El Camino is a much must watch, and it was very good. I've actually watched it the day it came out. Came out last weekend. Is it so? Would you say you you have to have watched the Breaking? I have seen the Breaking Bad show. I'm I'm actually looking forward to watching this probably right after we get done recording. Good, but. Is it you don't you think you'd have to be a Breaking Bad fan to enjoy it? No, I think you could you could still enjoy it, but I think you're going to get a lot more out of it if you did watch Breaking Bad. And like I said, even if you're a Breaking Bad fan, maybe haven't watched it in a while, I would recommend just you know getting on Netflix. You can you can pull up the last episode of Breaking Bad, and it kind of sets the stage for you, and then go right to the movie. So if you have an extra you know 55 minutes, watch that last episode first. Have we lost Matt? No, he's just listening to us ramble on, right, Matt? Listen to you guys talk about all these TV shows and movies that I haven't seen. I was going to say Breaking Bad, that was that movie about heroin or something, right? About what? No, meth. (laughs) All right. You know, someday, Matt, when you have a little extra time, I know you're a pretty busy guy with the family and, you know, your ESPN duties, but Breaking Bad, or did you say at one time you did start to watch it and just couldn't dial in? Yeah, that, that's the Malcolm in the Middle show, right? I watched an episode or two. <laughs> You're funny. Yeah, you, hey, you can uh, have your, you can watch it with your four-year-old daughter, Claire. There she you go. Enjoy a lot of the scenes in there, especially Joker as well. You can take her to see that too. No, I, I was going to say you just threw out a lot of spoiler alerts. If I was going to watch Breaking Bad, oh, did I? I guess the show's been what, done for six years or something. Yeah, I think it's legit to throw yeah, a few no, things out. Past the limit. <laughs> yep. Sorry. <laughs> all right, that's really all I have in entertainment. Uh, was there anything else? Oh, do you guys like David Spade? Yeah, I do. He has a he has a half hour show, show on 
half-hour show on Comedy Central called Lights Out. I've been checking out. I like it. I mean, he's he's one of those snarky comedians, but he's he's pretty funny to me. And the concept of the show, he comes out, does a little monologue, and then he has three comedians sit on a chair and they just banter about the latest news stories. It's, it's very good. So it's on Comedy Central about 1130 every weeknight. Great show. Yep. It's a great show, and he's a great follow. Ted, you'll appreciate this. He's a great follow on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Very funny on there as well. I do follow him, believe it or not. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it's a good show. I agree with that. I really do enjoy David Spade. He's kind of had the second act of his career. He's not just the grown actor that's in Grown Ups, you know? Yeah, and I think which if you— I, Which I was kind of sad for a while, but now he's doing good. So. If you ever checked his bank account, I think he's one of these quiet— multi multi-millionaires in Hollywood because he's got a lot of residuals for some of the sitcoms he was on, you know, and, and different things. I mean, he's made a few bucks in his career. Well, next up, we're going to go see what is going on with our pod's oldest athletic supporter. He has a take on the Lions at Packers and paying college athletes. Let's go to Jack Strap. Matt, Fred, Gary, how you doing? I'm going to get right into it. I got a little cold tonight, so hang with me here. But anyway, Detroit Lion Packer, Lambeau Field, Bobby Ross coaching off a bye week, had his lion ready to roar, and even threw the ball downfield aggressively, and even threw in a flea flicker. Why, as a lion fan, I started feeling a little bit proud there on Monday Night Football. And then, of course, the Packers made a few adjustments, and so the jury's still out on Bobby Ross. I don't know. Off a of bye week, they looked good initially, but then as the coaching adjustments were made, we struggled a little bit. And, of course, we didn't capitalize in the red zone, per se, but the referees killed us. They've been killing us. Come on, have some respect for us Lions fans. We already have misery as it is and shooting ourselves in the foot. Now we, we gave the referees some ammunition, apparently, and they were shooting at us as well. It was ridiculous between uh, Trey Flowers and uh, the interference that was late in the game that was obviously not called. It's absolutely insane. And I've been on the record, guys, of saying I couldn't stand instant replay when it came into effect, and I still can't stand it. Those that were for instant replay were hoping, hey, look, let's just get the call right. Well, instant replay clearly is not guarantee that the call is going to be right. So I say let's get rid of all these stupid delays and let's just get back to talking at the water cooler about the good or bad calls that were made. Because at the end of the day, guys, it's entertainment. And it's taken away from entertainment with all these stupid delays. So I propose that you give each team three or five challenges per game. And those challenges can be on anything. It can be on holding or anything. Because, look, like last night, the Packers ended up winning because of the call uh, on flowers. So that had nothing to do with passion interference or anything. So any one play can have a negative effect on your team. So I just say give three opportunities for a coach to challenge on anything, and then every single touchdown should be challenged for sure, and maybe the last two minutes in a game, and that's it. And give me back my old football dog, got it. So anyway, I am frustrated with with uh, instant replay, and those are my thoughts. Now, on another topic, I'm also fired up over the recent California legislation to pay college star athletes for endorsements. Those supporting the legislation say, well, it's the right thing to do. Well, these athletes are being exploited. 
shouldn't they have a chance to make a piece of the millions and millions of dollars that the NCAA and the universities are making from their star power? Come on. Well, on its face, fellas, it seems reasonable, right? His or her university increases ticket sales, concessions, student enrollment is up, and money is flowing like honey everywhere except in the star athlete's pocketbook. Well, let me share an analogy, guys. I'm an old man, and I like to share my wisdom. Since we're in the football season for college athletics, I'll use football, college football, for my analogy. Pretend that college football is like Broadway. Broadway has been the home for top-flight entertainment for years. So what if a guy named John Doe was selected to play a major part in a Broadway play, or, I mean, uh, he's quarterback at Alabama. Yeah, very few people are aware of John Doe's stage presence and his acting ability and suddenly his shows are selling out every night and the nation is abuzz with John Doe fever. In short, John Doe was given an opportunity to exhibit his talent on the big stage and he will now be rewarded perhaps with a multi-million dollar movie contract in Hollywood, aka the big time. Well, if we apply that analogy to college football, who made Johnny Bangell a millionaire in the NFL? I say the platform or the stage of college football, in this example, allowed Johnny to demonstrate his talents while providing national exposure to the masses, and the media provided him with free publicity. Matt, Fred, Jerry, Johnny was offered a free education, if he took it, paid for by the university. Johnny was offered top-level coaching paid for by the university. Last time I checked, they had a good food buffet provided by the university. Johnny was given free exposure based on the television deals negotiated by the universities and the NCAA. If Johnny's a star in the NFL, will he reimburse the university? Hell no! I can name dozens of reasons why this will be bad, but just give you one example. If I'm a future Larry Bird, why would I play at Indiana State? I'm going to play for the team that can provide me with the greatest amount of exposure, allowing me to leverage lucrative endorsement deals. In short, fellas, the NCAA provides an education and tremendous platform for the 1% of star athletes who can demand a large endorsement deal. Yes, many of the universities make a lot of money from star athletes, but... Without Broadway, Johnny Manziel is not a household name. If these guys want to make huge money, forget college. Simply try out for an NFL team out of high school as John Doe without the free education and exposure provided by the NCAA. This is just all about greed, greed, greed. I got to go, guys. Well, that'll do it for now. Subscribe and rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all the others. Follow and send your comments to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at 3PointPod. Support our 3Point Podcast partners, Main Street Pizza, Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and Promac Engineering. And also, be sure to check out our friends on the Sportsnet Michigan radio network, including Z92.5 The Castle and Sports Radio Detroit. 
Also, the high school football regular season is winding down, and the Castle Game of the Week is live Friday. That's Detroit Community at St. John's, and also catch the replay right here at Three Point Pod. This has been a Three Point Podcast production in conjunction with Sportsnet Michigan and WJSZ Radio. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcast. Sinking,